What can we learn from the prophet Jeremiah? Today, we are joined by Dr. Gary Yates, professor of Old Testament at Liberty University, as he discusses his recent book, 30 Days to Jeremiah and Lamentations, on this edition of the Bellator Christi Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for our time together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. We want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com. We do encourage you to go to the website, and while you're there, uh, we encourage you to click subscribe. And by doing so, you'll receive all of the articles and links to these podcasts in your inbox. And the best part of it is, it's absolutely free. Uh, we, you can also uh, follow the podcast on several different apps. We're found on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. And so uh, we encourage you to do just that, and that way you can take us with you on the go. We have a very uh, wonderful guest with us today. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Gary Yates. Uh, he is the professor of Old Testament in the School of Divinity at Liberty University. Uh, Dr. Yates has pastored churches in Kansas and Virginia, uh, teaching at Cedarville University in Ohio before coming to Liberty University. Uh, he and his wife, Marilyn, have three children. Uh, two are actually graduates of Liberty University. His special interests are in Old Testament studies. Uh, especially the prophets, biblical theology, and the Hebrew language. He's also involved in preaching and teaching in the local church, and I've heard many, many wonderful things about his uh, preaching style, his uh, his messages. Uh, he pre- he, had, he received a uh, Ph.D. from Dallas Theological Seminary, where he also received his Master in Theology, and he also received his uh, Bachelor of Arts from Washington Bible College. So, Dr. Yates, it is such a privilege and honor to have you with us today. Thanks for being with us on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you having me, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, to talking today. Absolutely. We want to let everybody know that Dr. Yates has written a book called 30 Days to Jeremiah and Lamentations, a devotional commentary, and you can pick up this copy uh, in bookstores everywhere. You can find it on Amazon.com and uh, several other booksellers. Uh, Dr. Yates, before we begin, uh, what, what can people expect to find in this book, 30 Days to Jeremiah and Lamentations? Uh, yeah, it's laid out to be a, a, a book that will help you to read through uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations in 30 days. And so there's a section of scripture that you would read each day. And then uh, 
each of the chapters are about 1,500 words. Um, it's focusing on just kind of practical issues that come out of the book of uh, books of Jeremiah and Lamentations, uh, things that will help uh, with spiritual growth and spiritual development, issues to think about in our own Christian lives. And one of the things that I've, I've wanted to do there was try to try to to go beyond sort of the standard uh, devotional book uh, and and include some insights uh, from things that I've learned from you know, studying, teaching the book of Jeremiah at a more academic setting, and and that's that's kind of the purpose behind, uh, uh, and the strategy behind the book. Absolutely, and I must say that I've been reading through the book myself. Uh, in, full, in full disclosure, uh, Dr. Yates is my professor right now going through Theology of the Prophets. I've had a wonderful time, wonderful class, and uh, he, he give, gave me this book at the last day of our seminar, so I greatly appreciate that. And Dr. Yates, I have to say I've gotten a lot of wonderful insights from this book, and I want to encourage people to go and get a copy of this. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful read. Uh, we're going to look at a few things that you discussed in this book. Uh, first of all, people often have difficulties understanding the prophets such as Jeremiah. Right. What, are, what are some tools that you could give uh, the, the modern, ordinary reader of Scripture uh, to be able to help them understand and especially apply texts like we see in Jeremiah and Lamentations? Yeah, the prophets are uh, a part of the Bible that, uh, you know, they, they're a stretch for a lot of people. I think a, a book like this is something that you can take and not just learn about Jeremiah, but uh, you know, basically reading the prophets in general. But but there, when you asked me that question earlier, there were there were a few resources that I thought about, uh, and and some evangelical scholars are doing some really good things on the prophets right now. Uh, Danny Hayes has a book called The Message of the Prophets, uh, I believe, published by Zondervan. And uh, very good, just brief, uh, easy to understand, easy to follow overview of the prophets in general. Uh, Bob Chisholm has a book called The Handbook of the Prophets that goes into a little more detail. Uh, Al Fur and I, uh, a colleague here at Liberty, we wrote a uh, survey specifically of the minor prophets, and I think it's uh, very accessible and very approachable for lay people, for Sunday school teachers. And then uh, a couple of books that I found just very helpful for my students in introducing the prophets. Uh, Brent Sandy has a book called Plowshares and Pruning Hooks, a good book on just how poetic language works, and uh, you know much of the pro much of the, the message of the prophets is in the, the form of poetry. So how do we understand that? How do we interpret it? How do we understand the language of judgment and salvation in the prophets? And another uh, good little book like that. Uh, is Aaron Chalmers' book called uh, Interpreting Prophecy, and it's it's a short read, but covers a lot of uh, things that just, I, I think, help people to become more proficient readers of these books. Absolutely, and, and the book I know by, by uh, Dr. Sandy is a wonderful read, and, and definitely encourage uh, you to pick up a copy of that, Plowshares and Pruning Hooks, a wonderful read. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think a lot of times... Um, we want to sort of impose our theology or our eschatological views on the prophets, and uh, I, I think what we need to learn to do is just sort of hear the prophets on their own terms, and uh, some of those resources will, will definitely help with that. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. In the first chapter of your book, you noted that uh, Jeremiah is a book that holds great relevance for modern times. 
Uh, what are some applications that you find in, in the book of Jeremiah specifically that are important for the modern church to understand? Uh, yeah, I think Jer- the, the times that Jeremiah lived in were very similar to ours today. There was a, a great deal of moral confusion. Uh, society, uh, the society that Jeremiah lived in, in many ways, was collapsing. Uh, the international scene was being you know, for for the people of Judah was 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 turned upside down with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and all the things that were going on with that. And so, I think just the reminder that the book uh, gives us of you know, God's sovereignty, God's control over those events when things are, you know, out of control or beyond our ability to fix or to remedy. Uh, kings and politicians were not, you know, not going to provide the solution to this, but. Um, if Israel and the people of Judah would return to their relationship with God, if there would be true repentance. Uh, so I think there's a there's a great message for not just the world out there, but for the church, uh, the need for repentance. The prophets were not primarily, uh, you know, just talking about the end times. Uh, the large bulk of their message was was dealing with the uh, the spiritual issues of the people of their day and their idolatry, their lack of love for neighbor, their lack of social justice, the sort of the hollowness of their worship when it wasn't accompanied by the right kind of lifestyle. Same things those people were struggling with are the things that, you know, I find going on in my own life. And, uh, you know, it, it almost seems like at times that the prophets are walking around uh, the streets of America today because just similar issues and, and, and problems that were going on then are very relevant and applicable to us today. You know, and I found that um, very helpful once I, in fact, I, I think it may have even been a class that I had with you on the mass, in the master's uh, level mm-hmm. where you were talking about this very issue. And, and quite honestly, before I, I had often looked at the prophets trying to see what they were saying in the future, but when right. I but when I realized that they were as much foretellers, if not more so than they were foretellers, that actually made the prophets actually pop a lot more and come more alive than what they were. Whenever I try to just look for the end times prophecy, right? And I and I think that uh, you know pastors and Sunday school teachers that get into these books will will come to realize that and realize that. Uh, there's a lot of just very relevant, applicable material to their, to whoever they may be teaching, and uh, you know the problem of social justice, and and a lot of times I think the reason that the church neglected that or abandoned that is that um, we didn't often pay enough attention to certain parts of the Old Testament, and the prophets would uh, would definitely be um, a, a key part of Scripture, you know, relevant to that theme. Amen. I was also encouraged by your statement on page 12 that uh, God's servants are indestructible until they have accomplished the mission that He, being God, has given them. Um, so, so describe that a little bit more, if you will, and how can this truth help us when facing uncertain days, especially when hearing negative statistics concerning modern Christianity and a culture that's really growing more and more hostile to the Christian faith? Right. Well, it, it would be it would be difficult to find a, a culture that was more hostile to a, a messenger than uh, than what what Jeremiah experienced. And I think uh, for anyone involved in in Christian ministry, Jeremiah is a uh, is a model 
uh, of just faithful proclamation of the Word of God when the society doesn't want to hear that. Uh, sometimes we have to be willing to risk being unpopular to uh, to be faithful to God, and Jeremiah certainly models that. Um, but I, I, I think the other side of it in terms of Jeremiah's indestructibility is that God promises him, I'm going to make you into a, a, a fortified wall and a strong city. Uh, whatever opposition that you experience, I'm going to give you through my enablement and my empowerment uh, the ability to, to persevere and endure through that. It certainly didn't mean that God would deliver Jeremiah, you know, out of all of these difficulties. He would go right through the middle of them. But uh, until God was finished with him, uh, Jeremiah was thrown into a well. He was imprisoned numerous times. He was beaten. There were very powerful people that wanted him put to death. He was kidnapped and taken away. Um, and yet, until he finished the mission that God had given to him, um, that that none of those things silenced his message. And I think it's interesting that um, there's another prophet uh, mentioned in the book of Jeremiah in, in chapter 26, a prophet named Uriah, preaching exactly the same message that Jeremiah did, just as faithful to God as Jeremiah was. And that particular prophet happened to be executed by uh, one of uh, the last kings of Judah. You, you Sometimes you ask the question, why does this terrible thing happen to this servant of God? And this other servant, all of that's part of God's plan. And both of those men, you know, they finished the work that God had given to them. They were faithful to the calling. And God used them to do exactly what he had designed, intended, and and purposed to do through them. You know, that also makes me think of um, in the New Testament Gospel of John, where uh, there's a scene after Jesus has reinstated Peter into the ministry that... Right. Uh, that he talks to, that Peter is asking about John. You know what's going to happen to John because Jesus basically tells him that tells Peter that he's going to be most likely crucified, and uh, and he asks Jesus about John. What's going to happen to him? And and Jesus basically tells him, "Well, you just worry about following me and let me worry about John." And I think that's a wonderful, just kind of going along with what you were saying about these two prophets, and and I think a lot of times. You know, it's been my experience that you know we often want to compare our ministries with this other ministry, but really we probably just need to focus on what God has for us. I, I think that's a wonderful point that you made. Well, and I, you, you have the same thing in the Book of Acts. I mean, James is put to death by Herod, but Peter's delivered out of prison, and it's well, why does God why does God deliver one servant doesn't deliver the other? But but God has a purpose and a plan. Uh, for both of those men and their ministries, and the same is true of us. And you know, Jeremiah, if you're going to if you're going to measure the success of a ministry by the number of followers you have, or the people that like you or approve of you, <laughs> Jeremiah, in many ways, was a failure. But uh, in in God's opinion, and that's really the one that matters, uh, Jeremiah did what God had called him to do, and God watched over him and delivered him and protected him. Uh, uh, through some enormous difficulties to do ultimately what God wanted him to accomplish. Amen. In the fifth chapter, you describe the wrath of God in a, in a chapter aptly named, Beware the Angry God. It kind of reminds me of uh, 
uh, Amos where he says, prepare to meet your God, you know. Right. Uh, but he seems that, uh, it seems that modern Christians often downplay this aspect of God's nature, if not downright reject it, as you see in some circles. Uh, what can we learn about the aspect of God's anger, this side of his nature, and his willingness to accept repentance in Jeremiah? And, and why do you think that there's this tendency in modern times to, to really downplay this side of God? Well, it may not be just a tendency in modern times. Uh, uh, the the audiences in the prophets' days weren't always real uh, receptive and responsive to the message of judgment either. Well and, uh, I remember, I think Micah says, uh, if there were a prophet that went around saying plenty of beer and wine, that would be just the prophet for this people. <laughs> and, um, you know, in in Jeremiah, you see the conflict between a prophet like Jeremiah who's saying God's judgment is coming, it will be relentless, it will be unending, it will last for 70 years. Then you had other prophets like Hananiah in chapter 27 and 28. Don't worry about this. The, the, uh, this is just an, uh, a short setback. The exile will be over. The exiles will return within two years. So that tendency to downplay uh, God's wrath and God's judgment, I, I, it's not just a modern phenomenon, but it was something that was going on in Jeremiah's day. And and, I, and again, I think sometimes um, pastors, churches have to be willing to uh, to say unpopular things, and, and that's part of the uh, the issue in, their, in the culture, is that sometimes we as Christians are not willing to put ourselves out there and, and and, and make those kinds of statements, or be bold uh, uh, to warn people about God's judgment. But I think a couple of other things that are important to understand, um, one is just the idea, and I think this is true throughout the Old Testament, that God is an angry God, but He's also a slow-to-anger God. Mm-hmm. And even in Jeremiah, there have been hundreds and hundreds of years of disobedience before God finally breaks out in judgment against the people. And even though they have basically sort of ran out of time and failed to meet God's deadlines numerous times in terms of repentance and and making things right with Him, even at the very end, God is willing to relent from judgment and to turn away from that if if the people will respond in the right ways. Uh, So, yes, God is an angry God in the Old Testament, but he's also a God who is slow to anger, and I think that's a very important aspect of God, and, and, and we see that even in the prophets. Yeah. Uh, one of the other, uh, just in terms of contemporary things, there's a, a great deal of struggle today for people to understand you know, how the God of the Old Testament relates to the God of the New Testament. And often I hear, and this is even becoming, I think, more commonly accepted in the church today, the idea, well, the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy and grace. The God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and anger and judgment. But I think the dangerous thing about that is that as Jesus came to explain who God is and to talk about the end times, uh, Jesus sounds very much like an Old Testament prophet. He talks about there's going to be a judgment like in the days of Noah. There's going to be the destruction of cities, just like when God poured sulfur and, and burning brimstone on Sodom. And uh, Jesus did not back away uh, from that side of God's character. 
And so people often talk about, well, I'm not going to focus on the Old Testament. I'm a red-letter Christian or something like that. I think we better be careful to make sure that we read all the red letters. Amen. Amen. In fact, uh, one of my classmates and I were talking about when we were up there uh, a few months ago, we were, I think he said something about the fact that he had, uh, we were talking about preaching on the uh, Sermon on the Mount and you know, and it seems like that there's even an opposition when you start talking about some of the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that, you know, like you say, pe- people don't want to hear some of the teachings of Jesus. Well, and I, I think, uh, you know, maybe sometimes just uh, not understanding the seriousness of sin and um, the holiness of God and um, both, you know, sin at a personal level and sin at a uh, societal level. Uh, it brings death, it brings ruin, and I think sometimes um, maybe we just don't see from God's perspective um, how how serious sin really is. Amen. Amen. Now, I loved your statement also on page 57 uh, that read, Effectiveness in ministry requires authenticity and vulnerability. Now, we could make an entire podcast just off of that. Uh, <laughs> Could you explain the importance of these traits as it meant to Jeremiah and also as it means to us in our modern day? Yeah, if you look at uh, one of the things that's unique about the book of Jeremiah is that, especially in chapters 11 to 20, you have a number of uh, prayers from Jeremiah. They're often referred to as the confessions of Jeremiah, but they're really not confessions. They're, They're more prayers where Jeremiah is just crying out to God, uh, because of the opposition, the persecution, the difficulty of the circumstances that he's going through. And and Jeremiah is just, he's being absolutely open and honest with God. Uh, God had even commanded Jeremiah, you know, you're not supposed to marry or have children. He was in the midst of, you know, a pretty terrible ordeal, and Jeremiah doesn't just sort of pretend that these things are easy, but... Uh, we, we we get we get uh, you know an idea of the struggle that he went through in some of these prayers, and he says some pretty harsh things about God and to God. In one place, he calls God a, a deceptive brook, and uh, in another place, uh, God, you deceived me and just kind of overpowered me. You didn't tell me how hard this was going to be. And so I think um, we see in Jeremiah, you know, a willingness to express some of his own struggles with God. And it's very easy in ministry at times to, uh, you know, want to portray ourselves, maybe to enhance our credibility or our authority or those types of things to present ourselves as, well, we don't struggle with these things uh, like other people do. But, you know, that's one of the things that I've I've found being in ministry is that that struggle is very real, and I I struggle with prayerlessness and lust and envy and uh, laziness and, you know, all the things that that other people struggle with in their lives, uh, those things are there. And I think to help people grow spiritually in our churches, uh, we need to be authentic with our own own spiritual development. My family's not perfect. My marriage is not perfect. My children are not perfect. And I think sometimes when when people can see that, uh, then... They're, they're, they're more willing to say, well, if God's grace can help him, then maybe there's hope for me as well. 
I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that uh, too. I know, know we were talking with um, a buddy of mine, Jason Klein, and I were talking with Dr. Purser. We had a chance to meet him when he was in his um, family were uh, down in the Mount Airy area on vacation, and we were even talking about the issue of um, of doubts, and we we were talking about you know not not to name you know any person or anything like that, but we. We've encountered individuals before where they felt like it was wrong to ask God questions, and it was almost as if it had been presented to them that if you asked any question of God or if you had any doubts of God, that it was almost as if you were rejecting God. But that's not quite what we see in Scripture. Right. Well, and I think that's one of the uh, the, the, the things that I really appreciate about these prayers being in the book is that uh, Jeremiah at times... Uh, and in fact, in one of these places, when he calls God a deceptive book, God says, well, you know, you're going to have to ultimately turn yourself uh, toward me rather than toward these people, and, and you're going to have to resolve this issue. But God allows him uh, to express his doubts, to pour out his heart. And I think we need to be honest uh, about the doubts and struggles that we have. We're not celebrating our doubt. Uh, we're not you know, making that the default position that, you know, is is where, where we want to be at, at every point and moment in our Christian life. And I do think that there are some people who almost seem to celebrate doubt and make it into uh, something that the Scriptures don't. Mm. But I think we have to be honest that uh, that's just part of, no matter who you are, that's part of, uh, that's part of the journey of faith. And there are times when God is going to seem uh, very distant, uh, the darkness of what we're going through, and you know, there's just a couple of chapters in the book on lamentations, but you certainly see that as the people are struggling with God in that book as well. And I think one of the things that Jeremiah was doing in these prayers, why they're in the book, is that he was providing a model for the people that would live in exile, or even beyond the exile as they're still waiting for the restoration. How do we how do we talk to God? How do we relate to God in the midst of that? Well, here's what Jeremiah did, and so this is a model for for us as well. Amen. And I like what you put there, too. I mean, I, I, you're right, because there does need to be a balance, because we, we shouldn't just focus on doubt, but right. realize that doubts may come. And, and Yeah, um, I think, you know, some people... Um, uh, they, they think that always being doubtful, always being skeptical, maybe is a reflection of the, the depth of their intellect or, you know, how seriously they think about uh, their faith and those kinds of things. But, but, but doubt is something that I, I don't think Scripture celebrates just living in continual doubt. You have to journey through it, but hopefully there's something on the other side. Absolutely. Kind of, maybe kind of like what Paul said, you know, to, to move past those those doubts, move past the elementary things to, to, to move forward in a person's you know, spiritual matu- maturity development, I guess you would say, something like right. that. Right, right. Um, man, I tell you, this this is another good one on Chapter 10, and this is, this is a chapter in Jeremiah that's always fascinated me. And this goes back to the days whenever I was at a small Bible college up in Hendersonville, North Carolina, uh, fruitless ba- Fruitland Baptist. <laughs> I think I accidentally said fruitless Fruitland. <laughs> yeah, you might want to call it that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fruitland Baptist Bible College. Uh, 
they, there was a preacher up there who, who preached on this passage of Scripture about the potter and the clay, and, and I've been fascinated about that, uh, that portion of Jeremiah ever since. Uh, in chapter 10, you, you talk about the potter and the clay, and you discuss how God molds us and how our, willing, our, our unwillingness to uh, listen to God's Spirit makes us insensitive to His leadership and can lead to chastisement and discipline. How can we ensure that we're walking in the Spirit and keep from quenching His Spirit? And, and could you describe this potter and the clay a little bit about what's going on and taking place in Jeremiah? Yeah, it's been one of the uh, one of my favorite passages as well. And uh, one of the things that that was going on while I was writing the book is that I had the opportunity to preach through some of the passages in Jeremiah, and that was one of the passages that I that I've preached on. And I think people respond to it well because just uh, just the power of the image there and what's going on in Jeremiah in chapter 18 of the book. Uh, Jeremiah visits the potter's house, and the potter is dealing with uh, flawed pottery or with flawed clay. And so he breaks the clay down, reshapes it, remolds it into something else. And Jeremiah tells the people, look, God wants to do this in your lives. You've disobeyed him for hundreds and hundreds of years, but God, God wants to reshape you as you respond to his word. The Lord will make you into something else. And, and there's uh, Jeremiah 18, seven to 10 uh, is not just an important passage in the book of Jeremiah, but I think really key for understanding the the message of the prophets in the Old Testament as a whole. Uh, Jeremiah says that if the people will listen and and, and turn and, and, and allow God to shape them and mold them into what he wants them to be, he will relent from the judgment. God, God can warn of judgment, but if people respond and return, then God will relent from that judgment. So he wants to shape and mold them just like the just like the potter and the clay. But what happens in Jeremiah in chapter 19 is that the prophet goes to the uh, uh, the potter's house, and this time, very different message, because he buys a piece of uh, finished pottery. He takes it out to the uh, out to the valley of Hinnom, where the people have been worshiping idols and involved in all sorts of things there that have displeased the Lord. And he takes the pot and smashes it to the ground. And so, when repentance is not forthcoming. Uh, then God says, I'm going to break you and shatter you in judgment. But again, we just see God over and over again sending the prophets and giving the people opportunity to respond. And so repentance and the need to constantly be, to, to need to constantly be sensitive to what, 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 what areas of my life is God putting his finger on through this passage or through this book or through this message. As a Christian, that's something I constantly have to be asking myself. And, and I think the, the reality is, is that the more we're resistant to that, um, the harder our hearts become, the harder it is to actually change. And we can bring ourselves to a place like, you know, what we see when Jeremiah goes to the potter the second time and he's ready to break and smash the pottery because the people have not been responsive. Wow. Uh, man, there's just so much we could even mention there, you know, uh, concerning, you know, maybe even the status of, of American Christianity. I mean, you know, it makes you wonder if maybe that's why so, so many churches, which there are many good churches out there, but why right. so many churches are struggling. And um, maybe, it's, maybe it's due to some type of insensitivity to the Spirit's leading. 
I, I definitely, you know, think that's true. The great thing is, is that, you know, ultimately these changes, and as we turn to God, um, our response is certainly involved in that, but I think Jeremiah and the other prophets will emphasize that, you know, it's ultimately God's work uh, to produce in our hearts, um, you know, the right attitude, the right responses to Him, and, and ultimately what will bring the kind of transformation that the people need is when is when the prophet promises in chapter 31, God's going to write and uh, God's going to make a new covenant with Israel, and God will take His Torah and write it on the hearts of the people. In chapter 17, um, you know Jeremiah says that the sin of Israel is inscribed in their hearts with an iron pen. That's that's their character. That's what they are. But it's the transforming work of God's grace that will write the law on the heart and ultimately enable them to obey and respond and, and be the kind of people that God wants them to be. So it's not just my responses, or it's not just our responses. God God provides the enablement. As we turn to Him, His His grace is always there to help us to make the changes that need to happen in our lives. Amen. Amen. Uh, but before we look at our final question, um, you know, we, we mentioned in passing uh, about lamentations. Um, mm-hmm. c- could you mention a word or two about lamentations? And I, mean, I know we, we talked a little bit about the doubt that the people had. C- could you mention maybe to our listeners who may not be very familiar with that aspect, with that book, uh, a, a little bit what they could find in Lamentations? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a book that is, uh, you know, sort of Israel's response to being sent away into exile, and and I think the the idea of struggling with God is definitely there, because the people people will acknowledge their sin. They will say, "We understand that Jerusalem has been destroyed. Uh, all of these things have happened because of our sinfulness." But why is the judgment so severe? And why has God? It seems like God has gone beyond, you know, uh, the judgment that we deserved, and so. Does God care about us? Does God love us? Uh, is, a God, is, is Yahweh a God worth loving and trusting in light of this terrible disaster that's come into our lives? And eventually they come to a point where, you know, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, we're trusting in that. But I think the interesting thing that keeps Lamentations very real is that even when they give that affirmation, it's not like, well, that's the end of the issue. Everything's resolved, and now we're happy, and all those sort of things. They can they they struggle with what's happening. What God's allowed to come in their lives. We know it's our fault, but it seems like, well, God's gone way beyond and over and uh, over and above. We're going to wait for God to do something. We believe in His faithfulness, but it's not like everything is just nice, uh, nicely resolved and uh, sort of neatly all put together at the end of the book. Amen. So I, I think the value is like if you're going through struggle, you're going through difficulty, and how do I respond to God? How do I help hurting people that maybe are, are going through similar things? Lamentations, again, is a, is a really good part of Scripture to, to, to direct people to. And, uh, you know, I just think how many hurting people could be transformed if they knew that there's a God out there that cares about them enough that he wants them to bring their hurts and their pain and their sorrow to him. And that's one of the things that I've been reminded of uh, studying both Jeremiah and Lamentations. Amen. So so as we were mentioning before, you know, in uh, 
and, and when I was talking before about you know people people in, in doubt, I, I think the, the main the main focus of what we what I was mentioning is the fact that there are, that there are some mainly pastors who, who who make those claims that we can never have questions, we can never doubt. But like you say in Lamentations, we 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 see that clearly that you know there were people and God is big enough to handle our questions and and right. like you say we shouldn't stay there in that point of doubt we should move forward and past that and so uh, man, man there's just so much <laughs> so many well, angles we can up, go with um, it yeah it lines up very much with uh, the kinds of prayers that you see in the Psalms I mean a third of the Psalms are people crying out to God when they're in trouble and often they're asking God questions like how long, O oh Lord? You know, why are you asleep? Why does it appear that you're acting in a way that's contrary to the things that you've revealed about yourself? Uh, how long is it going to take you to respond and act? And so that's that's part of that's part of how we relate and know God. And Psalm says, Psalm sixty-two eight says, "Pour out your heart to God." So if that's what's going on in your heart and your life, uh, the Bible certainly invites us to. Uh, to come to God with that again, not to not to seal us in our unbelief or doubt or confusion or those kinds of things, but but ultimately to help us to draw closer to Him. And the Scriptures do promise that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. Amen. Amen. Well, well said. Very well said. Um, I want to close with this, and and I found this very very fascinating. And I think that this is a word that that many people need to hear. And if if for no other reason, you need to go pick up Dr. Yates' book for for chapter uh, thirteen, I believe it is, uh, entitled "Trusting in God, Not Man," and that covers Jeremiah twenty four through uh, twenty five, chapter twenty four and twenty five. Um, in this chapter, you discuss how the people in Jeremiah's day place their faith more in political leaders rather than God. And you wonderfully compare the people of Jeremiah's day to modern Christians who do the same, placing more emphasis on, on politics rather than theology. Could you explain why it is important to place our emphasis on God rather than politics, especially in light of God being the going back to being the master potter uh, I think there's a good uh, link there to that. So um, what would you say to people today who, who may be uh, focused on politics? And not, not to say that there's not a role that we should play there. I'm not saying that. But, right. but talking about the emphasis, the direction of our emphasis being placed more on God rather than man. Right, yeah. The, the point here is not that Christians should not be involved in politics or that you know, you, you don't want to get down and dirty with all of that because you're you're too holy or that sort of thing. Um, I, one of the interesting characters in the Old Testament to me is uh, King Ahab, who is the worst king that Israel has. He has a or he has an advisor by the name of Obadiah or uh, someone who's one of his key servants, and Obadiah is a man of faith. So Christians can certainly have a uh, a role in politics, but I think. The problem with uh, the problem with trusting in political leaders rather than trusting in God is, is is first of all just the reality that that God is the one that is ultimately sovereign over these things. The uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army appear to be very powerful, so Judah is looking for well, how can our leaders and how can our military and how can our 
uh, commanders deliver us and help us in 